it is a bit of a struggle, and um, it's sort of a two-for-one special today. And before I go too far, thank you, Linda, for taking the easy bit of James last week, yeah, <laughs> and leaving me with what I'll refer to as the remnants. <laughs> um, but I am going to zip back a little bit because uh, just to recap, because they, they do kind of need to be in both parts. I'm not really a regular at church, and when I am asked to, oh, I am, am at church, but not at the front of church. I'm not on the, the preaching roster. But um, when I do come up the front, it's usually for a, like a good news story or something that's gone well or something to encourage people along a little bit. Well, I hope I'm here to encourage you, but don't be sitting there thinking it's going to be like a happy good news story that's got a cheerful fairy tale ending. Um, and I'm feeling definitely like um, a bit of a rusty tool for God today because I know that I need to be sharp and prepared to give my testimony like he says. Um, I've got the story, but I don't really know how it's going to go. So we'll see how it works out. So um, perhaps we could pop up the first um, slide. And this is going back to what we are talking about last week. And I'll particularly start from two. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He'll not rebuke you for asking. Um, so quickly, uh, for people who haven't met me before, I'm a school teacher. I've been um, a teacher for uh, 20 something, 27 years, uh, most of the time in our local community, and I've taught lots of kids here. I've taught um, lots of uh, children of people who are sitting here. And right now, I'm actually a teacher at Snell's Beach School, which I'm loving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, However, a few months ago, I had an opportunity to go and try something new for a while. And I'd seen uh, lots of my teaching colleagues uh, who were a little bit further down the track getting burnt out. In fact, they were getting burnt, burnt out faster than a lamb chop on the barbie. And someone forgotten about it on a, on a February afternoon. And it seemed like such a great opportunity to take. The circumstances around that, uh, for another time. It just seems like the perfect time, the, 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 the person needed me, I was looking for a change, and it seemed such a perfect thing. And I still actually think that was in God's will for me to do it. So I packed up my classroom, and I went to work for Rodney and Nikki, who some of you might know, uh, building racing yacht sails, so which is the next one, um, which is something connected to my, um, my passion on the water. So they'd shifted their business up from uh, town to a new complex on Sharps Road. And if you've seen that um, colossal shed that's popped up next to Charlie's, it's all happening in there. Um, you can flick on to the next one. It was just a change to the routine, and it was just what I was looking for at that time. Um, huge shed. That's only one end of the building. The other one goes the other way too. Um, amazing technology. Interesting problems to solve. And for the first time in all my working life, I could say I'd got to the end and I'd finished teaching something. I finished finished the job. You know, you never really finish. At the end of a year, you send the kids off, but they're never finished. Um, and um, it's it was actually a really rewarding part of the job. 
I think there's one more picture. And some of, some of the sails that we're building are for, for boats that would not fit, the sail would not fit inside that building. It was huge. They were just enormous. Thanks. Um, there we go. It was a real challenge, though, for an old fella who was old enough to be the dad for most of the guys working on the floor. My old brain had to work overtime, um, which was pretty difficult, but the older body felt like it was really struggling to keep up with the pace on the factory. It meant that it had many long hours to try and make up the time. It was a very high testosterone environment compared to a classroom of 12-year-olds that I'd come from. <laughs> and for all its challenges, teaching has plenty of variety in the school day. And that was one part that I was really missing from working at the sail loft. Now, I don't want anyone to leave here thinking that where I was working was an awful place. It just wasn't really for me. And Rodney and Nikki, they're great bosses. And I really look forward to the time when they take another step towards their relationship with God. And I know lots of you have got tentacles into their life. And, uh, you know, I think we're kind of here for a reason. They've moved up for a reason. They don't know it yet, but they're, they're pre-Christian, perhaps, we call it. Yeah. However, I always knew that that would be, that little sojourn, if you like, would be a short-term thing. But anyway, let me get back to day one. It started with a long commute through the West Auckland wastelands to their industrial factory down in Henderson, and I was set to work. But within hours of getting there, it was clear that I was not going to get on this guy's Christmas list and he was not going to get on mine. I guess you say it came down to a conflict in communication styles. I do want to also point out that although this character is going to feature through this story, really it's about what happened in me. It's not about this guy. So um, I kind of secretly hoped he'd hear about this and come and sit down. I don't see him in here today. But... Um, <laughs> At the same time, I'm semi-relieved. <laughs> but he is excellent at what he was employed to do. He was absolutely meticulous and methodical, experienced and eagle-eyed, and he ensured that the finished product was absolutely perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, he would make it, um, he would remedy it, or he would make it remade. But boy, in either of those cases, he would let you know of his displeasure. <laughs> And at times it was an incredibly tense environment. And the language was truly something else. There was absolutely no doubt you knew exactly what was on his mind. There was no, nothing left to guess. And those words began to grate in me like the arthritis in my aging knees. And when I was trying to but failing to tune it out, I just found myself getting ground down. The way he spoke to the others just made me so mad. And I don't think I'd ever heard anything so soul-destroying day after day, hour after hour, to some of these guys. But the only thing that made me madder was that on all of those occasions except for one, he was exactly on the money. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And he, he should have been disappointed about what had happened, but it's just the way it came across. And as much as I wanted it to work out, it wasn't really, I wasn't really a good fit into that environment. They run a great business down there. So had I stepped out of God's will by taking that job? And what good was supposed to come out of it? Don't worry, there is some good news that come out of this. And to find out what I was supposed to do, 
or how to deal with this. All I had to do was ask, because it said in James 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. So if you pop up the next slide, there we go. Yeah, that's the one. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Oh, what an opportunity for joy it was. <laughs> Being so far out of my comfort zone brought me closer to God than perhaps ever before. Even in those exciting few weeks when you first give your heart to God, um, that you, you feel so close. But I don't think I've ever even been that close until, until uh, this most recent experience. After all those years teaching, I'm not saying I know it all, but I've got the basics sorted at least. But after landing in this relatively foreign workplace, I knew very little. Not just in terms of the job, but more importantly in the, my connections to my workmates. And I was struggling with connections to others, which is something that I just don't normally have. Normally I get to know kids pretty quickly and colleagues pretty well, but it just wasn't working out here. So I turned to Proverbs 3. I think it's the next one. Yep. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Fortunately, I had no understanding of my own to lean on at all. It was kind of like a, um, my walking stick had been taken away from me and I was just left there hoping I wasn't going to fall over. But in his will, or seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. So there was nothing to lean on. All that remained was for me to trust in the Lord and there was literally nothing else. It was the first time in a long time that I had nothing. I could do the job to a satisfactory level and got on with many of the others really well, but I was completely out of tools in my toolbox to sort this problem out. There was nothing left in my own strength. So next one. Um, thanks, Quentin. Yeah. So in Psalm 19.14 it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's the New Living Translation, but does anyone automatically hear the BMV version, the Boney M version of that song? That song would, hit, would, would sink into me. I don't know when the last time I heard that song was. It's not usually on my playlist, and it doesn't feature on the radio stations I listen to very often. But um, when I think about that song, I, and I think about what meditation was actually going on. Actually, I'm leaping ahead. I better not go too far ahead. I'll, I'll come back to it. So throughout my, time, throughout my time at the sale loft, I think I did a pretty good job with the words of my mouth. I had the, my Bible app give me a verse of the day, and I try to be as positive as I can to everyone, including this guy that I was having this problem with. I try and meditate on those words. But those words of my colleague would just chase those words out of my head, and they were like emptying, like bouncing around my empty head time after time after time, and there was just such hard work to try and keep anything of God in there when these words were just coming, not always directed at me, but just in the environment. So when I actually sat down to think about what I was thinking about, it was all these negative and pretty unsavory thoughts towards my colleague. The meditation of my brain was not matching with the meditation of my heart. And I turn the page, you're hoping for some sort of rec rec reconciliation story. Well, don't hold your breath. It's, it's, 
I, I did find, however, that because I was holding those thoughts in my head, it was stopping and, and not really letting them go. It was harboring those thoughts that was stopping, this, stopping me from moving on. And speaking of moving on, let's just move on to the next one, which is actually the bit Lyndon told me to speak about. <laughs> yeah. So 19 verse 22. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Next one. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, well, they will be blessed in what they do. Those consider themselves religious and do not keep tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows, in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this work experience highlights to me how important the way you say things is. In the words of Joey Tribbiani, it's not what you say, it's the way you said it. And as believers, the way we communicate just like everything else we do should demonstrate the way that we love God and love others taking time to think about how you say something or what you say or even if you should say it. Slander, gossip, rudeness, anger and deceit. I'm not really a huge fan of calling what we do here religious, but you know what he's getting at. And there were a couple of occasions where I gathered the courage to talk to this guy about the way he was speaking. And neither of them went particularly well. Yeah. Um, verse 27. Thanks, Quentin. So if we look at that second part, it says, look how easy, uh, uh, what does it say, second part? Uh, religion that our, um, God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How easy it is to look after the wealthy or to look after those who can pay you back, or to those who are easy to get on with, or fit into your um, social circles. I wonder since Jacob wrote that, thanks for telling me it was Jacob by the way, I would have called him James, but yeah. Since Jacob wrote that, I can't help but thinks, well, think things have changed. Do you think that orphans are better cared for today 2000, than 2,000 years ago? I don't actually really know the answer to that. We might have money allocated for this and an agency responsible for that. But are they really being looked after in their distress? And I think this is really about loving people who fit a particular criteria, that being having lost both their parents or their spouse. But I think it actually represents a much broader group. And the way that we do or don't look after people in our world has changed. And I wonder if the idea of what an orphan is has become much broader someone who doesn't have someone there to love and to care for and instruct them. I think there are heaps of kids out there who survive with mum and dad, 
but still have that, share that same feeling of loss with an orphan. And I found out the words for widow and widower come from a word that means to be empty. Now I know lots of widowers and widows who don't necessarily feel empty, but there is a part of them that's missing. But I do know that when, when Jacob was talking about this, that he was talking about people who have that empty feeling inside them. And I don't think necessarily you have to have lost your spouse to have that feeling. These are the kinds of people that we're called to help in verse 27. So when I found out that this fellow that I was working with, who was in his uh, early, early to mid-twenties, had been kicked out of home when he was 15, never knew his dad, got kicked out of school not long after he got kicked out of home, and then he had this feeling of emptiness, and he would fill this feeling of emptiness with artificial means. I know he didn't technically meet the category of orphan or widow, widower, but that's exactly who I think Jacob is talking about. It's getting, it's, you think it's going to get better, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so what I did is I went to Proverbs 25. And in 21 it says, If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them water to drink. And you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. But to my dismay, I found my motivation was the second part of that. Yeah. Oh, I hope he's feeling bad that I'm doing this. But actually, that's not what it's all about either. Yeah. And it wasn't any sort of secret um, that I was a Christian, that I went to church. In fact, it might have been within the first hour on that first day that set us off on this path. I don't know. But I became increasingly aware that I might be the only glimpse of Jesus that guy has had or will have in the next little while. And so at that time, I was thinking about how he might be seeing me. And one of the most frequently heard opinions held by those outside of the church of those inside the church is that they do things that don't match up with what they say. And they don't do what they say they'll do. And it's a hurtful and unsettling accusation for us. But it's probably quite true. Time for a little Greek to lighten the, to lighten the tension, eh? Um, let's go back a few thousand years to the Greek, the Greek theatre. Actors would put on these kind of grotesque masks made of painted linen, wood, leather and cork, which were stiffened to hold their shape. Yeah, that's them. And you might be quite familiar with those two. They're kind of held up as symbols of the performing arts. They're designed to emphasise the expressions with these super exaggerated smiles, grimaces, frowns or whatever expression was required. And as the story progressed, the actor would be required to sneakily turn their back and switch the masks as their expressions changed on the new scene. The name for these actors or pretenders comes from the word interpreter or explainer, kretes, and the word under, hypo. The Greek word itself is a compound noun, and that's now how we end up with the word hypocrite in English. It's made up of the two words that literally translate as the interpreter from underneath. That bizarre compound makes more sense when you know that the actors in ancient Greece theatre wore these huge masks to mark the character that they were playing, and so they interpreted the story from behind their shield. 
not really talking about Greek actors now. But the more complex your story becomes and the more you add to that mask. In a figurative way, that mask represents a more complex character as the story becomes more and more elaborate. As you get to know that person and people are adding more to this mask, the real person is actually getting shielded behind this mask and, and hidden away. And then I think at some point, the weight of these masks will increase until it becomes almost impossible for that person to wear the mask or the mask breaks down or the player becomes so exhausted that the truth is just laid bare and the person that you thought you knew is not the person that is there at all. The mask doesn't match up with what's beneath. So putting on a play involving, uh, sorry, putting on a play might involve putting on an accent or putting on a wig or an outrageous costume. It's all about covering up that person that's underneath. The world is full of actors, real people who pretend to be someone else for a little while. To try and prove a point, oh, I don't know if I should do this. I've got the chocolate, I better do it. Yeah, to try and prove a point, we have a little interactivity, which we'll see how it goes. I'll give you a, perhaps a well-known line from TV or a movie. And if we just go to the next slide so I can get my arrows right. People on this side, so how about we just use these two blocks. My mum always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Is that playing automatically, do you think, um, Quinta? Yeah, okay. All right, well, there's a good example. So we'll use that one as our example. So does anyone know the name of the character that said that? Forrest Gump. Okay, so if you're on this side and you see character, you can say Forrest Gump. Does anyone know the name of the actor? Tom Hanks. Great, good example. Okay. All right, well, let's see how it goes. We'll try the, um, if you click on the... Uh, not sure. We'll try that one, shall we? Uh, I'm not sure which one we're up to. Here we go. Pivot. 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 Oops, sorry. Ross. Ross from Friends. David Schwimmer. Very good. Oh yeah. Anyone know? Anyone remember that episode? Do you remember what they were trying to do? What were they trying to do? Take the take the couch up the stairs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Okay, this one, this one is um, a bit further back in time, 1991, I good think. Good evening, Clarice. Oh, he knows his movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good try. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. And Anthony Hopkins. Here we go. Here we go. Great. I'm not sure we'll worry about the side, just call it out. Yeah. Okay, another one. I think this one. That's no moon. It's a space station. From 19. Hmm. He's there. He's. No, good try. Oh, yeah. Obi Wan, yeah. I've got a few chocolates left. Who else? Um, whoop. I heard Obi-Wan at the back somewhere too. Here you go, Steve. Anyone got the name? Yep, very good. You want to? I heard it over here too. Oh, okay. Alec Guinness. Oh, okay. Well, you can have half. 
Okay, this one might be, I think it's for... My mum always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. We'll move on to the next one. This one, it would have to be, you have to listen really carefully, it's for probably our younger audience. That's no moon. Next one down. It's a space station. Top one. I am Groot. Yeah. Yeah. What did he get? Vin Diesel. Yeah, that's good. You know he got paid, how much did he get paid, Elijah, for that? $50 million to say, I am Groot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I've kind of trying to keep score. The point was that we're supposed to associate what someone says with the character that plays them and that the, the actor itself might be a little bit beneath the mask. It fits in with the rest of their story and it's a part of what makes them up. It's not necessarily a part of who the actor is. Good news in um, Anthony Hopkins' case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so celebrities who put themselves out there become known for their acts of charity or selflessness, selfishness, kindness or harm, honesty or dishonesty. But the truth is that although we might not be in the magazines or on people's Facebook feeds or on TikTok, whatever they are, um, it's our actions that build the character that we are known by. Anyway, short story, long story short, well, it's actually not a very long story. It's a short story short, isn't it, really? It's only six months in my new job, and I'm back into the classroom, back to what I know. And I've inherited a great class. And over the, They need a little bit of uh, reining in, shall we say, after some time. So over the last three weeks, we've been working on three-step instructions, something like this. Get out a ruler and a pen, collect your book from the pile, sit down so you can see the whiteboard. So anyone can do one instruction at a time. So we're trying to push this out to three. You might go, have your morning tea, get changed into your clothes for sport, meet me on the field. At first part, at first glance, this message in the second part of James seems quite straightforward. Perhaps we could convince Waka Kotahi to put up a few signs that summarise the key points. And I wonder if after the commute to town, people would have an improved day. Even if they read one half of verse 19, with its three steps. I do regret this tale has not come to a very satisfactory resolution yet. I'm not saying that it will never. It just feels like it hasn't really worked out yet. There are some untidy loose ends to be pulled together. But I'm grateful for the journey that I was on and for the lessons that God has taught me, especially the lessons that I thought I already knew. Yeah. You better have one. Mm, yeah. So, um, why don't we?